Bird's Eye View is a member of the Baltimore Sports Report Network. Find more podcasts like this at BaltimoreSportsReport.com. BaltimoreSportsReport.com. Nope, you're not in the wrong place. Welcome to Bird's Eye View. When it comes to the Orioles, this weekly podcast is your official source for a lack of insight and baseless opinion. Today is May 9th, 2016, and this is the Mother's Day episode, episode 163. You are listening to Sarah English and Carrie Magnus. If you're listening to our voices right now, yes, it is better than Scott and Jake, we know. You're most likely doing so on the boys' website, which is birdseyeviewbaltimore.com. It's also possible that you're listening to them on Baltimore Sports Network, where Bird's Eye View is a proud member. Check it out at baltimoresportsreport.com slash network. There's about a million other places you could also hear them, such as third-party platforms like iTunes and Google Play Music. You can get social with them on all sorts of social media platforms. Their phones are always buzzing with Facebook, Google+, Periscope, Snapchat, Instagram, and most of all, Twitter, where they tweet at Bird's Eye View Ball. That's or at bird's eye view B A L. <laughs> Thank you, Carrie. <laughs> and I'm the one who's already started drinking. <laughs> Maybe I do need to catch up. All right. Well, what's your drink of the week, Sarah? Well, you know, I'm sitting here looking at a bottle of water and a bottle of loose cannon, and I don't do have it. a I don't have a bottle opener. Otherwise, Jake's poor little beer would be gone. So I'm going to be lame and stick with my water. Well, you're welcome to share some of my margarita anytime. Thank you. I might take you up on that. You might need to as we get ready to step into the medical wing. Time for your checkup. Time for your checkup. I'm going to check your ears, check your eyes, find out how much you grow. Time for your checkup. going to listen to your heart fix you up, ready to go. Time for your checkup. It's okay if you giggle. So there's not much to talk about this week on the medical wing except for no. your boy no. JJ Hardy or should mm. I say JJ Hardy womp womp sounds like we're not going to be hearing that for at least another two months or so because he officially has a broken ankle I'm so sorry I know he's my favorite I know well, who's your new favorite um well I mean there's always the standbys Manny AJ the good guys. Davis. How do you feel about Giovanni Gallardo? I don't like him, but you know who I do like? That Joey Ricker kid? Do you like him? I can't decide. I think I do. I think he's like, I mean, he's probably 14 years old, but well, he's kind of thing. cute and super fun. I feel a little bit like a creepy old cougar for liking him, but... I'm okay with that. Okay. Well, speaking of creepy old cougars <laughs> and a family of them... <laughs> Let's move to this week on the Twitters. Our first tweet comes from Perez at the Perez Hilton, and it is, I hope hashtag Rob, Rob Kardashian and hashtag Black China don't get a prenup. 
There's this true love that will last forever. Um, excuse me, I'm going to go vomit now. <laughs> you can. But what many Bird's Eye View listeners might not know about me is, well, I'm a huge Kardashians fan. In fact, I'm a huge reality TV fan. But aside from the Real Housewives of all the cities, um, the Kardashians have to be happen to be my guiltiest of guilty pleasures. So when the boys are podcasting on Monday nights, I'm usually watching my Sunday night DVR'd episode of Keeping Up with the Kardashians. So this whole Rob Kardashian, Black China, Tyga, Kanye, Amber Rose thing, that kind of excites me in a weird way. Scott has baseball. I have trashy television. I, on the other hand, had to look up who Black China was. Didn't know Black, no K, China with a Y. Now I know. I feel enlightened. (laughs) (laughs) Meanwhile, on Monday nights, I'm folding laundry and probably watching some sort of home makeover show. And dreaming. (laughs) Yeah, just dreaming. Making Jake a honeydew list. Um, Here's the thing, though. Kardashians are cool. This is a baseball podcast. All right. So I have a baseball tweet for you. And this tweet comes from Craig. Oh, I'm not going to say this right. Calcaterra. Mm, Very good. Did I do that correctly? I think you did. And his tweet says, boy meets girl. Boy is star pitcher on $180 million deal. Girl is supermodel. Tale as old as time. Well, first of all, Beauty and the Beast is by far my favorite movie of all times. And I don't appreciate it being used in this way. But they are pretty cute, aren't they? I don't know. I feel like it's my turn to go vomit. (laughs) We should have brought a bucket. Maybe we should talk about Orioles baseball since this is bird's eye view, B-A-L. There's a chance. Jared McInnes coming in for the win with a fantastic tweet about Mr. Manny on Mother's Day. Uh, Manny Machado with two home runs on Mother's Day. Now they're even since she squeezed those ears out of her body. Hashtag Orioles, hashtag bombs for moms. And I would like to add hashtag dongs for moms. (laughs) We're a lot of dongs. (laughs) That was a great Mother's Day game. It was a really good Mother's Day game. There were a lot of dongs for the moms out there. Yeah, it it was good. We, You know, when Scott asked what I wanted for Mother's Day, I didn't think to ask for a Manny Machado dong. But instead, I got a few of them. Meanwhile, I didn't go to the game because my husband was spending Mother's Day drinking with a bunch of guys. I'm sorry. It really was a good game. I know. that It was a good game because we weren't there. Well, yeah. And shout out to Chris Marr who tweeted, at Bird's Eye View BAL, the Orioles are pu- putting up a Jake's Not Here performance. Yep. Sounds about right. Jake doesn't have a terrible record this season, does he? Well, we've only been to one game. And how did that go? Opening day. Okay. <laughs> well. His record last year was pretty atrocious. But he's been to so many playoff games where they've done well, right? Sure. I'm mm-hmm. trying to find the bright side here. It's probably time to stop. But if I get some dongs for moms, because Jake was on a boys weekend, I'm going to take it. Mm-hmm. All right, and our final tweet is one that is from Ranting Oriole Bird, which can be followed at Ranting Oriole. And it says, okay, fine, at Bird's Eye View BAL, you were right. I don't know what they were right about, but Ranting Oriole Bird, I don't appreciate you telling Scott and Jake that they're right about anything. Ever, for any reason. 
we set a pretty high bar around here, and that comes from Scott and Jake knowing that, no, they are never right. So, ranting Oriole Bird, you are on notice. If we were doing the good, the bad, and the ugly, that would be ugly. Now let's take a look at this week in Orioles baseball when we go around the bases. All right, let's go ahead and go around the bases, if you'd be so kind. It's where we go first to home and talk about a couple of issues going around in the world of Orioles baseball. We're going to start with first base and the curious case of Adam Jones. Scotty, what do you what do you think about Adam Jones right now? Uh, I think he's doing exactly like everyone else is thinking. He's been pretty horrible at the plate lately, and uh, uh, it almost strikes me as he doesn't deserve the role that he has right now in the fifth hole or the second hole or whatever Buck is trying to get him into at this moment. He strikes me as at best and maybe a sixth or seventh hole hitter. So Adam Jones is not the Adam Jones that we have come used to uh, expecting over the past few years. And frankly, I think you're all to blame on this matter. Me? Yes, you. You know I've never thrown a pitch in the major leagues, right? I'm aware of this, but you also made a prediction last year that last year was going to be Adam Jones' final good year. And he said final special season. That's fine. Final special season. If you want to put, you know, some caveat and light some candles and get some dongs for moms, you can do that. But, you know, the fact of the matter is uh, Adam Jones uh, has had a precipice fall off uh, this season, having a 200 batting average and a 50 weighted runs created plus. Over the entire season, he's been worth a whopping total of a negative 0.5 F war at this time. Um such performances have gotten other players designated for assignment off this team. Adam Jones, of course, is in a slightly different situation. But certainly it can't be overlooked that the situation with Adam Jones is, well, it's, it's not doing the Orioles any good, basically. All right. I, I will say a couple of things in defense of Adam Jones. Uh, first of all, this, the team is winning, despite the fact that he is, he is playing as he is. Um, and second, I would agree with you to an extent that Adam Jones is not playing is not performing in the in the he's not hitting like a second to fifth hole hitter. However, however, where do you think is the best place to let Adam Jones swing out of a slump? Is it with the likes of Manny Machado and Chris Davis and and Mark Trumbo behind him, assuring that he'll see strikes, or is it with the likes of Matt Weeders, Pedro Alvarez, Ryan Flaherty, and Joey Rickard behind hey, him? Don't be ripping on an El Toro like that. I mean. I'm thinking more he needs to be right there with like Matt Weider slash Ryan Flaherty, basically in between both of them. I, I think, and again, I'm not arguing that Adam Jones has been good. I'm, I'm not. But I think the best place for Adam Jones to be to get out of it is right in the thick of things. And now he was a double play machine the other day. And I understand that that has a danger to it. But I think that, that Buck Walter is actually playing it right here. I think that Adam Jones will eventually come out of it. I don't think he's going to have another special season, but I think that just like in most other years, we're going to be really, really frustrated in the short term. They're going to be really, really ugly at bats that make you cringe. And then you're going to look up at the end of the season and he's going to, and you're going to go, Oh, all right. Yeah. Adam Jones had an okay year. I think we can all look at how Adam Jones is playing right now. Um, offensively, he's not there, but also just the intangible such as 
he doesn't seem right running down the baseline, not as quick as he was before. Maybe that's age. Maybe it's injury. Um, but the defense is also lacking this season as well in terms of um, his arm strength to a certain regard. And it really raised the question of Adam Jones has been dealing with injuries this whole season so far. Would it be of advantage to the Orioles to say, you know what? Adam Jones is doing more harm than good right now. Let's put him on the DL for 15 plus days and let's let him get everything back to good and then we'll bring him back. I've been having this discussion a lot lately with colleagues and friends and I actually don't think that's the case. Um, I know friends was a stretch. I apologize. Um, this isn't the guy that doesn't like Buck Walter, is it? No, no. Okay. No. Um, you killed him off. I did. Gotcha. I got rid of him. Put him, <laughs> put him on an ice floe with uh, Brian Mattis because last year, if, if uh, Adam Jones had been hurt, he would have absolutely had to play through it because the stock of outfielders was so low. And I would argue that the outfield situation in 2016 is actually much improved, right? We've gotten to the point now where we can, we can put Kim into the lineup without being horribly, horribly concerned about what that's going to do both defensively and offensively. I'm not saying he's a star. I'm just saying you can plug him in there. We can plug in Nolan Reimold into the outfield situation, and I don't feel that bad about it. I, in the contrary, I think that Nolan Reimold should be the defensive replacement over Joey Rickard, who we've talked about at length. Yeah. And the Orioles, for better or for worse, seem committed to putting Joey Rickard in the field and are comfortable with him at center. Again, whether or not you or I agree. Right. So I think that the Orioles are in a situation where they don't have to be pressed into a situation of depending on Adam Jones. They could absolutely put him on the DL and could have, again, back when they were winning, when they won seven straight games without him to start the season. I think that medical professionals who are not at home on their couches or behind a microphone in their basements sure. have looked at Adam Jones and said, him playing is not going to adversely affect him for the rest of the season. And it's, and the baseball people, Buck Showalter, has said the way he is physically is not going to adversely affect us in the win column. Okay. I would be able to take that advice with a lot more heart from the medical professionals from the Baltimore Orioles if they had a mustache. But since they shaved off their mustache, it's harder for me to take credence with what they're saying. You're so right. Um, but I agree with you. Adam Jones uh, definitely struggling at the plate. But I think right now the best opportunity for him to get things together is to kind of work through it. I think the first half of the season is going to be a rough first half of the season. But like you said, I think at the end of the season – um, I, I think we're going to look at the numbers and say, you know what? That wasn't a terrible season for Adam Jones. It certainly wasn't a career season for him, but it wasn't a terrible season. Um, and let's be honest, we're only, you know, five plus weeks into the season. Uh, it's really hard to make an assessment of how well he's going to do over the entire season, especially with the injuries that he's had. Uh, I, I think that it's easy to look and say, hopefully he gets better with time and um, the re- recovery and rest allows him to come back and be that player that we're hoping him to be. But if you look at his numbers from, you know, the BABIP to the line drives being down, Adam Jones has to get better and he has to get better in a hurry or else there really is no point for batting him up at the top of this order. And remember, these are his decline years, right? I mean, he's probably started his decline years and he's got a lot of mileage on him. He does. He's played a lot of games since 2008. Um, I, I'm wondering about Adam Jones. Um, clearly his contract is going to be up at the end of 2018. It'll be interesting to see whether or not he continues with this team because there's a lot of other things to have to buy. Sure. But it'll be interesting to see how Adam Jones uh, manages his ego yeah. as he becomes an older player because I think right now, you know, he needs to really make peace with the fact that this is Manny Machado's team. Yeah. Right? And that he might still be the captain, so to speak, and he might still be in many ways, you know, the the heart and soul of the locker room 
he's not the star of this club. No, he's he's the he's the figurehead, um, almost maybe the mascot to a certain regard, <laughs> uh, and he definitely serves a role. Um, but I, I tend to agree with you. I think that you know you're probably looking at he might be an all star by all star aspect of experience as opposed to all star of being a really really good player. And and I don't want to make. I don't want anybody to feel like I'm down on him. I love Adam Jones. And and maybe it's wrong, but I hope Adam Jones stays in Oriole for the rest of his career. I hope he manages his ego well. I hope he moves to left field or something that allows him Jake, to stay here. I, I know you're the guy that's been sending him all those encouraging tweets. I am. Can you get over that? That's crazy. He tweeted out, thanks for all the encouraging tweets. Hashtag not. Who's blowing up Adam Jones? They got to have some serious cojones, basically, to be blowing up Adam Jones and being like, I'm going to tweet him and say, hey, you got nothing left in the tank. Look, I, I think he's hurt. I think he's going through a slump. And I think both those things combined have made him a less of a player. I think he's going to come out eventually. I think the slump will end before the injury. Um, but I, I expect big things from Adam Jones. Skill sets like that do not just disappear overnight at his age group. And like and like Buck says, I've got a long memory. Yeah, exactly. Um, let's go to second base. I want to talk about starting pitching. Um, Andrew Stetka, um, good friend of the show, wrote about uh, starting pitching being better than expected and exceeding expectations for his Masson blog of the week. Um, give them a lot of credit in terms of players such as Tillman, Jimenez, and Gossman. And I think that's that's great. That's definitely something that needs to be emphasized. Um, but I don't think he went the full full way in terms of explaining how good the Orioles staff has been. Uh, I was looking at their numbers today and looking at the Orioles starting staff over the season. They've lowered their ERA to 4.35, which is 15th best in Major League Baseball. And their FIP is 3.71, ninth in Major League Baseball. And I think there's a lot of interesting stats here that really caught my eye um we talked about it earlier this season left on base percentage is at 68.9 percent, so it's starting to creep up because when we last talked about this it was at 66 percent. so Oof. getting it back to that 72 to 73 percent, i think is going to basically balance out a lot of these numbers in the future the one number that really struck me as interesting was ground ball percentage is up for this team it's at 46.3 percent. it's their highest since buck took the helm and the two players that really have uh, exemplify that changing this year is Tyler Wilson, who's pitching at a 65% ground ball rate, and Nabaldo Jimenez, who's pitching at a 55% uh, ground ball rate. And, uh, you know, we, we talked about it on the show before. Ground balls are generally preferred over uh, line drives or fly balls because they're easy outs, and especially they're easy outs based off of... Higher likelihood of outs. Yeah, exactly. They're, it's, it's also nice because you've got a, a great infield defense. Mm-hmm. So you've got a great infield defense, and you can shift accordingly... Ground balls normally end up being out more times than not. So I think it's a good trend to see. It's something that many teams have gone to. The Pittsburgh Pirates are one team that really emphasized ground ball rates over the past few years and has seen uh, immense success with it. But I think it's interesting that you're starting to see ground ball rates come up, and you've also started to see the usage of the sinker come into the starting rotation a little bit more prevalently. Mike Wright's use of the sinker um, is a very interesting tactic, which you know they're customizing games towards the use of the sinkers for a lot of their pitchers, which is what I like to say. Yeah, and I just want to touch on two things before I start going back to pitch selection. And the first is this. Um, you, you just spoke about the ERA and the FIP differential, and I think that will continue. Um, at the very beginning of the season, there wasn't enough of that separation, or rather the separation was there, but the numbers were still so sky high that it was terrible. Yeah. The next thing I want to talk about is the fact that on, on this program, to start the season, yeah. we said if the Orioles rotation can just hang around middle of the pack yeah. with the league, 
that this offense will do the rest of it. Right? I, I, I fully agree with that. If the Orioles could end up somehow 15th in Major League Baseball in ERA, this is a playoff team. Yeah. Guarantee it's a playoff team. And people might come back and say, you know what you're talking about? You've got to have a really good pitching staff. No. With the offense the way it is, and they're going to go through slumps like they did this week, this offense can carry a 15th starting rotation. Uh, this team will be a playoff team. And, in fact, if they're 15th in Major League Baseball in terms of ERA, they're going to win this division. It's as simple as that. I want to go back to uh, the game this week with uh, with Tyler Wilson. Okay, right? yeah. Tyler Wilson went six innings and gave up three three runs. And I'm not going to use the Q word, all right, because I think that's that's dumb. But he went through that lineup the third time and he fell apart. And I get that. Right. The sixth inning was very unfortunate. It was disheartening to watch. It was frustrating right. to watch. But after it was over, I looked at it and I went, all right, he went six innings and he gave up three runs. Almost any night of the week, that's going to be enough for this team. Yeah. Right? They ended up losing that game they did. because the offense went to sleep. And that's fine. That happens sometimes. Exactly. But a lot of people were, were up in arms over that game. And I was actually enthused because I was like, you know what? If that's going to be our fourth slash fifth starter... I'll take it. And that's, Every fifth day. And that's the whole thing as it comes back to Tyler Wilson is at best a fifth starter on this team, which is perfectly fine. Every team needs one. Right, exactly. Tyler Wilson is giving you everything you want from a fifth starter. I think it's going to come down to eventually is Tyler Wilson or Mike Reuter your fifth starter. And me personally, I like Tyler Wilson a lot more from the command of pitches that he's seeing, the ground ball rate. Doesn't have the strikeout rate, which is going to knock him down a lot in, my, in a lot of people's books. But Tyler Wilson really strikes me as... I hate to come back and mention this because it's a player that the Orioles lost. He kind of reminds me of almost like a Steve Johnson-like pitcher, like an invisible pitcher to a certain aspect. I really like the poise that I see from Tyler Wilson. Um, and I think that he's going to be a, a big part of the Orioles' you know, future uh, going forward. All right, you're smarter than me, so I need to ask you a question. Sure. Uh, you talked about the pitch selection and the use of the splitter. Uh, that splitter is axi- sinker. It, okay, yeah. the sinker. I'm looking at the splitter with Kevin Gosman. I know we yeah. talked about that last yeah. week, so I'm going to skip past that. I've been hearing a dirty word Ooh, be okay. used on the radio okay. in relation to Chris Tillman. Yeah. And that is cutter. cutter. Yeah. Chris Tillman has been using a cutter a lot more, and you can start seeing that that success tracked. The thing that frustrates me about Chris Tillman is that he's got this curveball, right? And when it's on, it's on. It's yeah. a devastating 12 to 6. You don't see that very often. And when he can locate it, it's a really effective yeah. When pitch. his 12 to 6 curveball is on, he's pretty much unhittable. But the thing about Tillman that drives me nuts is that his fastball command is either on the plate or in the batter's box, mm-hmm. right? If it's not if it's not a strike, it's a non-competitive pitch. That's the thing that frustrates me with Tillman is that he cannot seem to hit anywhere near the strike zone if he misses with the fastball. But that's not the case with his cutter. And the reason for that, I believe, and, and this is this is my question that I'm building to, there's less velocity on the cutter, obviously. Is it a factor of command? Does does Tillman so far look like he can throw his cutter more reliably near the zone and the movement saves him because he doesn't have enough velocity? And is that a factor for his improvement over the last couple of weeks? I, I think that it's a two-part question. Uh, I think the fastball command is more of him not feeling confident enough in his fastball. Um, and I think when his curveball is off to a certain aspect, he doesn't feel confident enough to keep throwing the fastball over the plate because he thinks it's going to get shellacked. Um, but I do think the cutter is a pitch that you've seen to be prevalence going more towards uh, this year than previous years. I think it was up from like 8% up to like 12% this year. So the Orioles are definitely kind of doubling down and saying, you know what, just go with what you feel is your best pitch at that time. You wish you would have done this back a few years ago when Jake Arrieta was on the team, but that's okay. That's a that's another matter. But um, I, I think it's a two pronged aspect of 
Um, Chris Tillman needs to get comfortable throwing his fastball and locating it um, when he doesn't have control of his curveball. Um, but if his curveball's on, it doesn't matter. So let's just make this mute. Get your curveball together, and we'll be in business for the rest of the season. I have one last uh, caveat to make here. They always won't look this good oh, no, as no, they no. have this week. And I said it when they were bad, right? They'll never, they won't always look this bad. The Orioles starters had a really, really good week. Yeah. And they won't always all be on like this. And, and I think that. And it, they were playing two very poor teams this right. week in terms of the Yankees and the Athletics offensively. Uh, the one thing that's really bothering me about the whole pitching and, and how good they're doing is. Home runs are way down for this team. It's gone down from 1.26 last year down to 0.79 home runs per nine. And home runs per fly ball are extremely down this year, too. 12.9% to 8.5%. Um, and I know we got rid of Wei and Chen to a certain regard, which certainly <laughs> helps. And Miguel Gonzalez also was pretty free more throwing the long ball. But, like, I'm looking at Chris Tillman's numbers, and I'm looking at his home runs per nine, and it's ridiculous. It's 0.23, which he's never had a home run per nine that low. And his Home run per fly ball is at 2.4%. Chris Tillman's eventually got to go boom, right? Yeah, I mean, it's the luck dragon, right? Yeah. It's got to be. Yeah, it's got to be. So it's like you said, um, there has been certain positives and certain negatives of this aspect of the small sample size. Chris Tillman is probably not as good as what he has been made out to be so far this season. But that doesn't preclude the aspect of he has been that good so far. Mm-hmm. So you take the positive that you got. Just be aware that rocky roads are ahead more than likely for Chris Tillman. And if we're going to see it every once in a while, we're okay. a little bit more reliably than we have. I I won't throw that out of bed. Or, you know, if you want to get all your statistics done in like one game and be like, I threw six home runs in one game and now I'm balanced completely out, I'm perfectly fine with that. Can we move along to third base? Yeah, let's go to third base. I am so excited. You put this note in here this week, and it's something that I've actually been talking a lot about, and that is the warehouse. The warehouse. You mean like renting it or? Yeah, I'd actually like to move in. Okay. Um, the warehouse is a scant 439 feet away from home plate at its nearest point, which has got to be right down the line, right? I know that 439 is an absolute bomb, right? That is a deep, deep home run. That's deep. But that is not an unhittable surface. Oh, no, it's not impossible. It's not possible. And there are some other barriers. Uh, the field of Canyon Yards is below grade. And the right field wall is obviously higher. You've got to really get into one, and you've got to launch it at an angle. i got to say, though, I'm really surprised in all this time that nobody has ever hit the warehouse. All throughout the, the 90s and aughts when people were juiced up and left-handed power hitters, you know, clearly had, had the ability to reach this. But as we now have seven years to look forward to with Chris Davis, now that we've got Pedro Alvarez, now that we've got, you know, Ryan Flaherty playing in the right. Okay, maybe not. Maybe not, yeah. But how long do you think it'll be before somebody hits the warehouse? Pedro Alvarez bomb on Sunday came really close. It was at 418 feet. And I'd say it's probably about 10 or 15 feet away from the warehouse, which it was a shot is the best way to put it. Um, And, you know, I think Pedro Alvarez has that power. I just don't think he has the consistency. I'm still putting my money on Chris Davis to hit that warehouse. I think it just takes a, a left-handed hitter with power um, over a prolonged period of time, and it's eventually going to happen. The probability says that it eventually would happen with enough swings of the bat. And I think that's why we haven't seen it with all the players that have come in that have been juiced, because you just haven't had enough plate appearances from left-handed hitters in Canton Yards. Now that you've got power-hitting players for the Orioles for a prolonged time as left-handers, I think it's going to hit hit. I think it's going to get hit in the next... Two years. It's interesting because I feel like the Orioles' long hitters are all right-handed. Yeah. Right? I mean, Jonathan Scope hit an absolute 
bomb Mark Trumbo in stadium Mark Trumbo even uh Adam Jones yeah was like 468 or something like that was his longest um you know when Nelly Cruz was here he's from the right hand side and he just hits you know majestic bombs uh so it'll be interesting but I I really you know I've been looking at it a little bit more lately and I I do think it is only a matter of time and that time is coming soon I agree all right let's go on over to home plate and well, we're going to call this the pleasure corner. So Manny Machado is putting up a show this year offensively. In my opinion, he's on pace for an MVP season, and it's probably the best season we've seen as an Orioles player since Ripken's 1991 MVP season. Uh, the numbers are absolutely, well, let's just say it, the numbers are absolutely gaudy. Um, you've got him at nine home runs already. Um, he's got a slugging percentage of 691, an on-base percentage of 403, Weighted runs created plus of 204, and he leads Major League Baseball with a 2.6 F war right now. Um, I also saw a stat where he's in the top like nine players in terms of infielders, in terms of baseball reference war, um, over their entire career to hit it by the age of 23. If Manny Machado actually managed to have like a, I think it was like a 10 plus war this year in terms of B war, uh, he would manage to catch up to Alex Rodriguez, who had the best war up into age 23. These are Hall of Fame numbers. That Manny Machado is putting up. He's right there with Jimmy Fox and Cal Ripken. Manny Machado is cementing himself. Rogers Hornsby. Yeah, exactly. Manny Machado is cementing himself as a Hall of Fame-like player. And, you know, I guess my question to you, Jake, is, is he the best part about Orioles baseball right now? Or is there something else or someone uh, that gives you greater excitement when watching Orioles baseball on a nightly basis? Probably not. I mean, Manny Machado is really enjoyable to watch. And, uh, you know, something I keep thinking about is, can you imagine what he'd be if he had two regular knees? Yeah. Right? If he didn't lose considerable time for uh, one whole season and the end of another, can you imagine where Manny Machado would be with two additional years of Major League service under his belt as far as, you know, maturity at the plate, knowing where he's supposed to be in the field? The other thing that's crazy this season is that he's having this ungodly uh year at the plate but we're also getting to see a little glimpse of the future and seeing him play shortstop and i gotta be honest with you i'm i'm kind of going to miss manny at third because he makes it look so ridiculously easy but watching him so effortlessly shift over to short and play a very good shortstop i mean he's gonna go from being the best third baseman in the league yeah i said it to the best shortstop in the league yeah i I think he'll be the best offensive shortstop i don't sure if i would put him up there from a defensive shortstop i mean all around yeah all around i'd say probably i would agree with you about that but uh i I think manny machado is definitely something that all baseball fans you know should take caveat of right now and just appreciate how good it is and i think when you're watching it you're just like yeah he's good but i don't think you realize how good he is right now i mean he blows nelson cruz out of the water from 2014 and people were going absolutely bonkers about nelson cruz in 2014 and, you know, we talk about, you know, player performances. Mark Trumbo is having a great year, but Manny Machado is dwarfing him in terms of performance. So, yeah, the best thing I can do is just say, take your time and take the moments to appreciate how good Manny Machado is right now um, at, at the plate because you never know when you're going to see a precipice of decline or anything that's going on. This is a special time and a special moment. And, in fact, Manny Machado has to have this special season if the Orioles are going to be a playoff contender. All right, with that, um, that pretty much wraps up around the bases. But you know what? There's a few people that were giving us gripes last week. Let's try to um, let's try to make them happy.
Yeah, folks, it's back. So we got some flack for getting rid of this segment earlier this season. Um, so Utah Street Report, I think it was Derek Arnold, uh, gave us some beef about why wasn't it on the show anymore. So, you know, we thought that we had to kind of run its course to a certain aspect, but we decided to open up to the public. And um, most of you either wanted the segment back on the show or didn't know we even had a podcast. So we're going to try to educate you further on both those fronts. Yes, we do have a podcast. Do we really? Yeah. That's a really good idea. Yeah. And we, and we are going to pick up Fantasy Boss um, at, at this time. So Jake won the contest last year uh, with his unprecedented P-I-O-O-H-B predictions. Pull it out of his uh, booty ah, predictions. Ah. Yes. Um, but I'm going to try to take the crown back this year with some, let's just say, new age statistics. So this week I'm going to go back to a new... I'm terrified. So I'm going to go back to Babbitt, which is a... a, a f- one that I love, but we're going to switch it up this year. We talked about Babbitt and just looking at the numbers, but there's been a lot of statistical research lately into exit velocity and launch angle um, in terms of Babbitt. And for anyone that doesn't know, uh, StatCast is a thing that is put out by Major League Baseball Advanced Media, and it basically tracks when balls are released off the bat, what kind of velocity does the ball leave the bat at, and also what launch angle it is. So for example, Jake, you were talking about the warehouse earlier, and you are mentioning a certain launch angle. Well, people have figured out what is the optimal launch angle to hit a home run for, which, just as an FYI, is right around 25 to 30 degrees for a launch angle. But, and that shot we were talking about with Pedro Alvaro is 29%. Correct, exactly. Degrees. It kind of reminds me back to that scene of Major League where the guy's just like, oh, no, it's too high, it's too high, it's too high. So if a launch angle is too high and it gets up to like 50 or 60 degrees, then you're at a fly ball territory there. So you just don't want to have high exit velocity you also want to have optimal uh launch angle it's it's simple physics basically folks i mean you want to be able to get the right trajectory to get the ball out of the yard or to at least have line drive so with all this data that has been coming out on statcast um it's been basically proliferated at baseballsavant.com which is run by darren williams who got picked up by mlb advanced media this winter it's a good pickup yeah it's a very good pickup best best pickup of free agency this year yeah but you can actually go over there and you can search in terms of all kinds of statistics from you know velocities of pitches to velocities of balls coming off the plate um anything that you want to look at you can even look at spin rates of baseballs if that interests you as well which for a super nerds that really is interesting but for the common fan no that is the case but the one piece of research that i think has been really interesting is looking at how this data influences both BABIP and WOBA. Um, and what people have been doing is they've been actually figuring out formulations and modeling to figure out how each of these impact, and they're calling it ex-BABIP and ex-OBA, uh, and, and trying to figure out what it's going to be. So I'd like to call it ZOBA. Can we do ZOBA? We can call it ZOBA. That's ZOBA. fine. But this week we're going to work with ex-BABIP, um, and what we're going to look at is we're going to look at launch angle versus exit speed. So I've got this really fancy model that you should go and take a look at online at birdseyeviewbaltimore.com. It looks like a weather map. I think there's a low front coming in. Yeah, it's something that you would typically see as a uh, ANOVA response factor graph, basically, which is really fancy for 
uh, whether it's really good or really bad, but doesn't it's not linear is the best way to describe where you normally look at a graph. It's like you said, it's almost like a Doppler, basically. You so, should get hammered before you look at it. So basically, it's cold zones and hot zones. Um, so what we're going to do here is we're going to pick a player. We're going to average out their vertical launch angles and their exit speeds for the entire week, and we're going to figure out which one would have the best batting average for batted balls in play um, for their stat cast data. And All we're right. going to go from there. I got to stop you and ask some dumb questions. Sure. Um, so, what I think I understand you're saying there is yes. that we're going to pick a player that we expect to have the best combination of vertical launch angle and exit speed. That is correct. Yes. So, what happens if you have a player that hits ground balls very, very high, very, very hard? Yep. Right. And a player that pops out a lot. Wouldn't that possibly average back to looking like? Over the course of the week, he had high vertical launch angle and high exit speed. It's a good point, actually. It's an excellent point statistically, um, and, and we're going to have to. I'll, that's a great point. Um, I, what I could do is I could particularly come back and look at a standard deviation, or if you want, uh, generally the way that people really like it is they like to have vertical launch angle above twenty degrees, and they like to have miles per hour over ninety-five miles per hour. So if you would like to do it in that fashion. We could literally just take a count of everything that is over 20 vertical launch angle and above 95 miles per hour, if you would like. So well-struck line drives that have a chance of going out. That's correct. And let's let's trim it back in a little bit more because, again, we talked about it. You don't want that launch angle to be too high. Mm-hmm. What if we go with 20 to 35 degrees and over 95 miles per hour? That's a pretty good line drive slash home run clip, and I can put it into the filter aspect, and we can do a count off the two players and that'll make it a lot easier for me, too, to filter out. <laughs> All right. I like it. The only other thing that I'd point out is just like BABIP, right, which which has a little bit of luck involved. It does have luck involved. Um, this this uh, uh, ex-BABIP also will give a player credit for screaming lineouts to the outfielders. That is correct. Okay. Because even if it's an out, it's still going to say, hey, you still hit the ball really hard and a right launch angle. So it's actually kind of taking away defense to a certain regard. It's almost like a... Uh, batted ball independent metric is the best way to describe it. All right, I'm just going to say this. I never would have been able to have this conversation in 2012 when we started this. Thing. I'm aware of that. So, right. But again, go to birdseyeviewbaltimore.com. Take a look at the uh, data model. Some really cool stuff that people are doing that literally have no time on their hands and just say, hey, I want to look at weird statistical stuff in baseball. And I'm stalling before I pick a player, but one last thing I want to say about StatCast. I am equally as excited about it as a non-stat nerd because I think that StatCast has the best probability of all of the advanced metrics out there of giving us a final, acceptable, widely recognized metric for defense. I agree with you about that. I agree with you about that as well. So I'm, I'm at the point now where I can no longer stall. Yes, we need to pick our players. Yes. Uh, and I am going to go with someone I've been beating up, but who is right now a hot hand. And I'm going to say Pedro Alvarez. I think that's a great choice. I think Pedro Alvarez has been really impressive as of lately. Which means he's about to go on the snot. I don't know about that, actually, because I think he's finally gotten comfortable to a certain regard. Uh, and I'll be interesting. I've actually was looking at it earlier today. I was thinking to myself... Pedro Alvarez would be a very interesting player to put into like that two or three hole for the time being, because mm-hmm. I think he's been really decent and really moving Jones down to where Alvarez was before in that six or seven hole. So Pedro Alvarez, I think, is an excellent choice. Uh, you know, I'd love to go chalk with Manny Machado, but I feel like it's going to basically have to break at one point. I'm going to go with Mark Trumbo. I think Mark Trumbo has the ability to really have that power stroke. Um, and again, if we're doing a count aspect, 
I think Mark Trumbo has the ability to really launch the ball and hit it really hard. So if I'm picking between the two, I'm putting Mark Trumbo out there. I think Pedro Alvarez also gets a knockdown too because he showed a great eye at the plate too and his walk rate is up. So if we're doing count, I'm going to say Mark Trumbo over Pedro Alvarez. Honorable mention, sure. Jonathan Scope. Jonathan Scope is, we'll get to Jonathan Scope, but Jonathan Scope, muy, muy bien, muy bien. All right, well, with that, a little bit of tease before the next segment. Let's get into our good, the bad, and the ugly. That's right, folks. It's time for the good, the bad, and the ugly. I'm going to start off this week, like we teased before. Good for this week for me. It's going to go to my boy Johnny Scope. Um, put up some impressive numbers, not really so much from the power stroke standpoint, um, but I guess he had one home run at Sunday's game, so that's that's decent. Um, but 391 average, 430 Woba, 184 radio runs created plus. The one thing that has really struck me about Jonathan Scope is he seems to be laying off that outside and away pitch, or at least driving it and, and being protective with it. Uh, Jonathan Scope, I think, is finally starting to take that turn there where he wasn't there earlier this season and kind of just going with it. Um, Jonathan Scope, I think, is going to have uh, somewhat of a breakout next two weeks. Uh, hopefully, he can make Jebby Burns some of his money back, but we'll see about that. But Jonathan Scope, excellent job. Uh, certainly not Manny Machado or Mark Trumbo territory, but Jonathan Scope, I think, is going to be um, someone to watch over the next few weeks. So, well done. All right, my good for this week goes to Kevin Gosman. Kevin Oof. Gosman, in his last start, was everything we've hoped for. Yep. Eight strong innings. And I say strong innings because it was not clear that he was out of gas in that at the end of that eighth inning. He went uh, eight innings. He, uh, he struck out four, did not walk a batter, and he did it at a time when the team needed it the most the Orioles ended up winning that game in extra innings because uh was it Tanaka he went up against uh who also just threw a a gem and the Orioles uh were able to to go out and and win that game because Kevin Gosman was again everything we'd hoped he was again I, I don't think he'll be like that every time out but that's what I needed to see to maybe think that he can have a great season. And just like Manny Machado being great, Kevin Gosman needs to have a really strong 2016 if this is going to be a playoff team. All right, my bad for the week is going to go to catcher offensive production. What? Was there any? There was none. So Matt Wieters and Caleb Joseph actually been doing a great job behind the plate defensively and also from a pitch-calling standpoint. But offensively, they've offered absolutely nothing at the plate. Um they're right there with Adam Jones right now, basically of basically swinging at nothing. So um, something that I'd like to see, but it, I'm not going to be too upset if they, they can't turn around. But I'd really would like to see either Caleb Joseph or Matt Wieters get hot eventually. And nothing has struck me as saying they're anywhere close to getting hot. So clean that ish up. Speaking of clean that ish up, I'm going to go ahead and, and do it. My bad this week is Adam Jones. And I'm not on the haterade. I mean, in the last segment about uh, sure. on the base, I, I defended him. I think he'll pull it around, you know, eventually. But he was bad this week, and uh, it hasn't looked good for him, and he needs to improve. Totally agree. All right, my ugly for the week is going to, to go to concessions at Oriole Park on Sunday. Near sellout crowd. 
Um, and the Orioles were fully unprepared with having the workers necessary. And also it was a dugout club day, so I don't understand why they weren't expecting it to be a big game. Um, so the Orioles, you know, if you're going to have big games like that, you need to have enough employees there to stock the reserves. There's no reason that people should be waiting uh, in lines with children for 30 minutes at a pop um, to get hot dogs is the best way to describe it. So and that's not even at the dugout club area where it's a dollar 50. I was paying for full price hot dogs um, Orioles, um, You're ugly this week. All right. My ugly this week is a little bit different. Um, I don't remember if it was last week or a couple weeks ago. I praised the Orioles specifically for making mother's day uh, special. And by doing that, they they had this play catch with mom on the field before the game, which I thought was great for a number of reasons. First, because they do it on Father's Day, and I don't think there's any reason why moms can't be the primary baseball uh, person in a child's life. Um, but secondly, I feel like it it's good because it treats mom like not a prop. And so my ugly this week goes to Major League Baseball. Major League Baseball, I feel, is bordering on using mom like a prop. Those uniforms that they play in are hideous, but they're like that because MLB wants to sell jerseys, right? They want to sell memorabilia. And yes, some of it goes to a charity, right? But we all know that not enough goes to the charity. And there's questions about how much good that that even does. But beyond that, uh, the charity is, uh, I think it's Susan B. Komen, which is for breast cancer. And look, breast cancer is a great cause, a phenomenal cause right? It's something that needs all the money it can get. But I don't think that it's necessarily appropriate to link Mother's Day with just the cause of breast cancer. Sure. Particularly because that's not necessarily a mom thing. And, uh, you know, I want to talk about an article that came out recently by Wendy Thurm, who we follow on Twitter. It's a great uh, follow on Twitter. And she wrote an article um, that is absolutely worth looking at. I'll make sure that it is um, in the in the show notes, it's on Sporting News. And her article basically says that, you know, it's good to highlight breast, breast cancer, but Mother's Day is about so much more, and I could not agree more. And I do want you to go read the article, but I want to just read you the following. All right, she sets it up, and she says, Now, imagine an, an MLB Mother's Day that celebrated all moms and focused on the sacrifices moms make to give their kids opportunities to play sports and attend sporting events. Imagine if MLB focused on income inequality for working moms and inadequate childcare resources. Imagine if instead of promoting and selling overpriced pink bats and pink jerseys with only a small portion of the proceeds going to the foundation, MLB instead gave away free tickets on Mother's Day to women and children victims of domestic violence. Imagine a world where MLB celebrated that 45% of its fans are women and girls, at least by some measures. Good on MLB to focus on breast cancer as an important public health issue, but there's so much more to being a mother and a baseball fan. Make Mother's Day about that. Yeah. Again, please go read the article. I'll put the, the link in the show notes, but I agree. And so I say to you, MLB, you are ugly this week. Show our moms, our wives, and our daughters that they mean more to you than selling pink jerseys. And don't be like the NFL. It's as simple as that. I mean, it's, it's, it's as simple as that. All right, let's go ahead and blow the save, although it's going to be tough to top that one, but we'll try to, try to go ahead. It's and a rare it. rant at the end for me. All right, so we were talking earlier about things that really 
what we'd like to watch right now as an Orioles fan. And I'll tell you the one thing that I think everyone liked to see on Saturday. It's got to be Bartolo Colon hitting his home run, right? That was pretty amazing. And this is what baseball is all about. It's the aspect of the unexpected happening. And this is the kind of stuff that you don't see in almost any other sport. The NFL feels like it's so scripted to a certain regard, or it's less like you know exactly a call is going to be made. It's like, oh, it's going to be a pass interference. Baseball is so unpredictable because there's no way you would have gone into Saturday's game saying, Bartolo Colon's going to hit our home run. And then it happens, and the internet literally explodes. This is why you have to fall in love with baseball is because of silly moments like watching a 300-pound, 42-year-old man hit a home run and just seeing everybody in the dugout from like Noah Syndergaard absolutely lose their s and basically like i cannot believe what i just saw it's like little kids basically lighting up so it's basically having grown men and uh, and adults turn into children once again seeing something that they wouldn't even fathom seeing you're so right and it makes and it makes you feel the same way right i mean like it sounds so cliche but that's exactly the feeling that masson would like you to have when they ask ain't baseball great correct that's exactly right so uh, again, when you're watching baseball, and especially when you're sitting at a baseball game or with you know your son or your daughter or just your wife, um, you know, just fully appreciate the beauty and art and pick up the small things that are going on in the game because it's not you know the highlight; it's the small things and the white noise that really make baseball what it really is. All right, well. Before we close this out, thank you so much to our wives, Carrie Magnus, Sarah English, for coming on the show. Uh, they've been doing this for a few years now and uh, kind of putting their spin on Mother's Day. It's my favorite episode of the year. Yeah, and normally, it's our audience's favorite episode of the year because they don't have to listen to us talk for about 10 or 15 minutes. So we thank you so much, wives, for basically dealing with us on a day-in and day-out basis. Yeah, uh, you, you said it all. With that, Baltimore and beyond, I bid you all a fond adieu-adieu. Good night, Baltimore. Be safe out there. And let's go O's. Did our wives really say mom-dongs? I think we need to get off this podcast to go take care of that. It's over. Go home. Go.